Welcome to another exciting episode of Cloche Wawa, a podcast production of the British Columbia Centre for Disease Control. I'm your host, Harlan Pruden. Cloche Wawa means good talk in Chinook jargon and is a podcast where we explore aspects of the amazing public health work that happens here within BCCDC. We acknowledge that we're broadcasting on the ancestral, traditional, and unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations and people. Today we have the pleasure to be joined by Dr. Natalie Prestajecki. Is that okay? That's okay, yeah. (laughs) May I call you Natalie? Absolutely, please do. And um, what pronouns may I use? Uh, She and her. Perfect. Thank you so much. Dr. Natalie Prestjecki is a microbiologist, environmental microbiology, focusing on foodborne and waterborne illness, and the Molecular and Microbial Genomics Lab, a research and development program focused on molecular or genomic testing development and deployment. Through her leadership in these two programs, she uses emerging technologies such as genomics to improve routine surveillance and outbreak investigation. Dr. Prozecki also is a clinical assistant professor in pathology and laboratory medicine at the University of British Columbia. Her research uh, interests are broad and also wide-ranging, so I'm waiting to hear about this. from um, ranging from the development of new methods to sequencing noroviruses in oysters to targeting resequencing in wetland sediments to study the emergence of avian influenza strains. More recently, she has heavily been involved in the development and implementation of the whole genome sequencing of SARS-CoV-2 as a part of the pandemic response here at BCCDC. So once again, welcome. Thank you. It's an impressive introduction. (laughs) So I'm so happy you're here. And I know that um, we've seen each other like presenting and at different uh, like meetings. And I know that, um, always from afar, but I, now that I'm nice and close, like you're around 5'1-ish, so you're like around average Canadian women's height. And you have some fun facts about your height in relation to, um, to your family. Yeah, so um, I am married to someone who's six feet, six foot three, so he's very tall. People refer to us as the figure skating couple. Uh, and we have two children. And you know, since they were born, they were they've been off the charts in terms of their their height. And so my five year old, I was giving her an airplane ride yesterday, and I pulled my back. <laughs> and um, we are just counting down the days until we can share clothes, and then she will outgrow me. My my mother makes beautiful clothes for the children, and I look forward to when I get to wear my children's clothes. <laughs> so yes, I will soon be out towered by all of them. My goodness, sounds like you are in. Uh live in a house of giants. <laughs> it feels like it sometimes, <laughs> yes. My husband, you know, he gets everything off the tall, t- off the tall uh, shelves for me. Otherwise, I have to use, like, tongs or tweezers to reach the tall <laughs> heights. So um, let's start off with this feature called Rapid Public Health Q&A, where I ask you some questions and you fire off your answers, whatever comes to your mind. Is that okay? Absolutely. Cool. So I love public health because... Every day is a new challenge. It's very exciting and very rewarding. Every day is different also. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, If I could do something else, what would it be? Um, I'd like to be a detective. I I do love crime shows, um, but I also am kind of a detective already doing outbreak investigations. 
And also the sequencing. The sequencing, the genomics as well, is a bit of trying to put things together. Cool. Yeah. And uh, my favorite hobby or pastime is? Well, before the pandemic, when I actually had spare time, I really loved pa mountain biking, and I'm hoping to do a lot more this summer. Cool. And do you like do the off-trail thing? Yeah, sort of all, all mountain. I used to do a lot of downhill, but now more a little more cross-country. <laughs> I'm so excited that you're here today, and I look forward to our discussion and to learning about sequencing the genome of SARS-CoV-2 and about how public health um, mi microbiology has um, some newfound spotlight or rock star status. So I guess a good place for us to start or to begin our, our conversation is what does sequencing, and I notice also from your bio, is um, resequencing. Like, what does that mean in general? And then what does the genome sequence um, mean to SARS-CoV-2 in that work? Yeah, so, I mean, genomic sequencing generally refers to sequencing the entire genetic code that makes a virus or a bacteria, makes them what they are. So it's the the alphabet that makes the, the organism who they are. Um, and so we can sequence, we have genetic, we have technology to sequence pretty much anything. We can even sequence human genomes. So we tend to focus on, on the microbial genomes um, and they can be very, very small. SARS-CoV-2 is quite small, or it could be even a eukaryote like Giardia, which has a, a slightly larger genome. So we're trying to figure out the entire genetic code of that organism so that we can compare them to each other. It's a bit of detective work saying, you know, are these two cases the same or different? Or what are some of the features of that genome that, you know, that can predict if this is going to be a, a you know, a very virulent strain or a mild or commensal strain? And so we're using that information to understand, understand diseases. So in the context of foodborne outbreaks, we use whole genome sequencing to link clinical cases to each other to say, you know, person a and person B are linked and then you know in combination with our epi colleagues they're doing interviews around food what did they eat and then we try to further bring that story together bring the the mystery together by saying if there's a contaminated food product that has the same bug is it the exact same bug is it in fact the cause of the outbreak so that's how we were using it in foodborne outbreaks um, targeted resequencing is you know, actually, I don't, it's not my favorite term, but it's a way of, it's another way of saying probe enrichment. So we basically, sequ we, we sequence a material such as like wetland sediments, and then we use probes to capture the sequences, and then we sequence them again. So that's why the resequencing aspect, and it's just a way, it's a technique to be able to just detect a needle in a haystack. So detecting avian influenza in wetland sediment, there's such little amount of avian influenza and so much of everything else. So we basically use these probes that are attached to magnets and try to pull the, the what we're looking for out of that, that gross material. <laughs> now when it comes to COVID, um, it's, very, it's very similar. We're again trying to get the genetic code of this organism and we're, we've been doing it for a few different reasons. And in the very beginning we started to do it because it was cool. You know, you have this, you have this disease, you have this virus, you have, have these new technologies, you wanna try it out. Um, but then I started to turn in from a research project to a, really a fundamental part of the public health response. And you know, it's over time has become so important as part of the pandemic response. Cool, um, just a little bit more. I know that um, you haven't used this, but I know that um, genome and genomics, but there's also these other concepts uh, such as, um, 
vi- uh, variant mm-hmm. and mutation. Yeah. And are people saying something different when they say uh, variants and mutation? Or, or is that something that we should be concerned about? No. So, um, so when you sequence the genome, what you'll discover, so you're getting the entire, there's, it has 29,000, it's, it's like having 29,000 letters. So you're looking for each of those different letters and you're looking to see that maybe somewhere along the line in your, in your alphabet, you see a switch from an A to a T, just a small change. And that um, can cause a mutation. And that causes you know, the gene that it, it's located within to perhaps behave differently or the same. Um, so that is a mutation. Those mutations can happen anywhere along the genome. And you know what? Mutations are normal. The virus, as it as it replicates, well, mistakes will happen in its genetic code. And we we anticipate that the virus should accumulate or you know obtain over a one month period two mutations. So if the same strain was mutating over and over from person to person, two mutations a month. This is a pretty slow mutating virus. Um, but the thing is that we've had this virus in. The world for over a year, and a lot of people are infected. So as it transmits, there's more opportunities for mutations to accumulate. And what we have now is that we have a series of mutations that together that make sort of what we would sort of consider kind of like a new strain, but it's not a new strain at all. It's just a variant. So it is a variant. The combination of mutations make it a variant of the original SARS-CoV-2. And there's lots of variants out there, um, and some of them have no, have no impact on how the virus behaves. But some of them do, and some of them might make it so that the virus can bind, the, you know, combination mutations has allowed it to bind um, more closely to the receptor in the human host, or maybe it makes it so that the host immune system sort of, sort of skims right over it. And so it changes how the virus behaves in, co- in context of its human host, and that's when they become a variant of concern. So you have mutations, many mutations can occur that form a new variant, some variants are benign and some variants are of concern. That is the language that you'll hear about these uh, emerging variants of concern. Thank you so much. Um, and so a part of this, it sounds like <clears throat> for this research uh, and also this work that you've been doing is um, that genomic sequencing here at BCCDC has changed um, over time mm-hmm. or has it changed over time. Um, within our current uh, pandemic that we're going through. Yeah, so in the very beginning, this was uh, funded by Genome BC and CIHR. We were using a different technology, one called nanopore sequencing. It was sort of a hot topic at the time. Um, And we uh, were doing it for a research project. We wanted first to see, can we sequence it? And we did it to understand how the virus was transmitting in BC. And then we wanted to understand how does this relate to sort of the outcomes? Are there any viruses, you know, variants that are causing more severe outcomes? And so that was, you know, those were externally funded research projects. But then as we started to generate the data, we were starting to share it back with the MHOs and it became an important MHO medical health officer. Thanks. Um, And then it it started to become a bit more of a public health tool. So we would be able to say, you know, we sequenced this outbreak and we see that there's two strains involved or we see, we sequence this outbreak and we see that they're all the same. And, they, and there started to be this demand for the sequencing. And it was very clear that this wasn't a research project anymore. This was actually part of our cl- a clinical service. So we had to take it from being done in collaboration with research with researchers to become a routine clinical test. And so doing that ensured that we had you know, all the validations, all the documentation, training the staff. And so we actually moved to a different technology. We went from something called nanopore sequencing to Illumina-based sequencing. It's a technology we use widely in this building, and so that we could really scale up. 
because back when we were doing research, we do, you know, 24, 50 genomes a week. Now the, there's sort of an expectation that we're doing hundreds of genomes a week. And in fact, last week we did 960 genomes. Um, and so that is, you know, that requires robots, that requires a lot of staff and these high throughput instruments. So the actual technology has changed a lot since the early days to now. Now the reason we sequence has also changed. In the very beginning, we did it because it was cool, and then we did it because we wanted to understand the spread of this novel virus in our province, and then it became clear that it was that public health tool uh, to help with outbreak investigations. Now it's changed once again. Now we're starting to use, whole genome sequencing is, is key for detecting these variants of concern. And so now it's you know, out in the forefront again as part of that response. And we know that it's gonna continue to be important, particularly when we move towards um, higher uptake of vaccines and we understand if people are still getting it even though we have a vaccinated population what does this mean could there be what we call vaccine escape mutants so over time we sort of see this transition of this tool as going from a interesting discovery to an essential uh, public health tool cool and you said that uh, like early on uh, there was this cool kind of like nice, shiny uh, research project that was being funded by Genome. Genome British Columbia. Genome BC and also CIHR. Yeah. Um, but who is, is that funding still continuing and where is the funding and investment uh, for this critical tool in the pandemic response as these data is being used to help shape public health response at multiple scales as well as levels? Yeah, so uh, in about April of 2020, the federal government invested $40 million into genome sequencing for the SARS-CoV-2 response. And so that money um, is being distributed through Genome Canada and it flow and $20 million were earmarked for sequencing the hosts and how they respond to COVID. And then the other, uh, the other half, 20 million, was put towards um, viral sequencing. And so that money has been distributed through a network called Cancogen, Canadian Genomics Network. Uh, and that is a collaboration between all the different labs across Canada, uh, Genome Canada, as well as the National Microbiology Lab, to ensure that we're, that we're generating sequence data that can be compiled at a national scale and compared ac across the nation. And so they're the ones who have funded this work largely, um, in addition to which there's been significant uh, funding and contribution from the provincial government here um, in terms of equipment, personnel, and running the test. So now it's gone from a research tool to a routine, pande a routine pandemic response tool um, with a different set of funders. Thank you so much. Um, can you tell us um, a bit about your team and the work? Like what does a, <clears throat> a, day, in the a day in the lab of a rock star genomics <laughs> microbiologist look well, like? Well, there's, I mean, what I really want to emphasize, what I really want to emphasize is that there's a huge team working on this. And so you can imagine if you're trying to generate, you know, it was not, it's 960 genomes this week, they're asking us to, to ramp up further. Um, and so it is a team of uh, medical microbiologists, scientists, genomics specialists, as well as a team of dedicated technicians who are running this program sort of day and night. And so it is, um, it, it's a really large team and it involved the, gr the groups that do um, research and development to make sure that we always have the best tools available and we have good backup methods in case supply chain goes sour. Um, then we have the team that are doing the routine work. 
um, and that are generating all that sequence data and managing all the samples as they're coming through. And then there's the team that are doing, that are analyzing the data and they're, you know, generating reports that are going to the medical health officers, to um, our epidemiology colleagues, and to um, our colleagues at the National Microbiology Lab, as well as to the public repositories. And so there's so many components to the work and really want to acknowledge that this is a, you know, a, t a team of 20 or 30 people working towards generating this data. Wow. Thank you so much. It sounds all very exciting. Um, can I just have one question? Like, okay, so I'm a listener out there, and this sounds really kind of cool, right? Um, where would I go to get some more information about this? Or, like, maybe I want to explore getting involved, or maybe this is a career path. Well, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting question. So um, to get more information about genomics and genomics in Canada, you can visit, visit Genome Canada's Cancogen website, and that'll tell you about the, the efforts across Canada and why SARS-CoV-2 sequencing is so important. And I absolutely think that, you know, this is a really exciting time to be to be a microbiologist, to be a molecular biologist, and that there's lots of opportunities for trainees. And I think that, you know, one of the things I really say to people is that it's so, um, you know, it's it's great. Genomics are going to, is going to transform the way we do public health microbiology. This is a great time to get involved in it. Um, really encourage people to be well-versed in both the wet lab side, so being able to run the test, but also on the analysis side, so be able to do the computational analysis, and that makes for a really well-rounded candidate for, for jobs in the future. So both the wet and dry labs. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So thank you so much for joining us, uh, Natalie. Today we had the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Natalie Prestigecki, a microbiologist here at the BCCDC Public Health Laboratory. I so appreciate you sharing with us of how genomic sequencing is a critical tool to help shape and inform our public health response, especially uh, when it comes to COVID-19 and beyond. It sounds like there's going to be some amazing opportunities, hopefully, in the future. It is also amazing to learn how the scientific community is coming together to share methods and data, and the amount of data and knowledge being shared on this topic is unprecedented. Um, and finally, how genomics is ultimately transforming the way we practice medical and environmental microbiology, and that we, because of you and these amazing colleagues and team, uh, teamwork, um, that we are at a very, very exciting time when it comes to this field of public health. I also revel in your rock star status as a, gen a genomics and uh, in that it is currently uh, garnering and I really hope that the interest and investment in this area of public health continues well beyond the pandemic. I'm your host, Harlan Fruden, and thank you for tuning in to Cloche Wawa, a podcast production of the British Columbia Centre for Disease Control, where we explore aspects of the amazing public health work that happens here within BCCDC. We hope that you enjoy today's discussion and you will stay connected and tuned in to our next episode of Cloche Wawa. Wow wow.